Happy Money Monday, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Effect Podcast. I am your host, Chris Ross, and if you're new to us, welcome. I am incredibly grateful that you're joining us for the first time. The outcome that we're after on each episode of this show is to introduce you to as many people as we cross paths with to inspire and to help you, our listeners, to manifest anything you want out of life. How we go about achieving this is one heartbeat, one mission, one outcome, that's success. For the listeners who've been tuning in for a while now, there's a good chance you've heard me say there's three types of people in the world. There's people just wander around life and just wait for things to happen. And there's people that go after every opportunity possible and make things happen. And there's people that sit around and just go, what the hell just happened? The guest that we have for you this week wrote a book called Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen by entrepreneur, speaker, performance coach, and the real life Wizard of Oz, Steve Sims. We live in a world right now where anyone can call themselves anything, and what you see is what you get. Many speakers claim to be onions, wrapped in mystical and magical layers in enigmatic meaning, have their metaphors mixed up because there's typically nothing but smoke and mirrors. You get too close, and it's all style, no substance. And my man Steve is not an onion, and you're about to see why. Stand by for a quick message from our co-host, Wes Bays, and let's go ahead and dive right in. Before I bring on today's guest, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell so you never miss the fire content we're bringing you every week. If you're listening from your favorite podcast platform, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review letting us know how you're enjoying the show. And as always, follow us on Instagram at The Win Win Effect to stay updated on upcoming shows and get exclusive behind the scenes footage. And lastly, fill out the feedback form and letting us know how you enjoyed our guest today and which guests you would like to see in the future. Now, without further ado, let's get back to the show. I'd like to welcome Steve Sims to the show. Steve, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Man, I'm blessed. We're completely blessed to have you on. It's an honor. I know that we, you know, before we hit record, we had a little chance to chat it up, you know, off scene. And there's a lot that we can, you know, dissect and really go into detail. But first and foremost, congratulations on the anniversary of the anniversary month of the book. Huge, big thing for a lot of people out there. And there's a promotional video. We'll go into all this stuff from back in the days and you've probably seen this is the worst promotional video ever for a the book. Worst. I think that's, yeah. They really think it's fascinating. You come from East London. I'm actually right on the outskirts of East London. I guess we traded me being in America. You said that your microphone makes you sound British. Well, my microphone makes you sound American and I'm in England. So we're both lost, my friend. <laughs> it's kind of hard not to know who you are, right? In this type of industry. And you've done so many different things in which I look forward to really going into detail, but for the most part, I mean, how would you describe yourself from someone that maybe doesn't even know who you are? Wow. Um, I've had two jobs. Um, one of them was Forbes called me the real life wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. And like pretty much I was the make a wish foundation for people with massive checkbooks. I had 93 clients, all bar two of them were billionaires and I'm responsible for sending more civilians down to see the Titanic. I had a couple wanted to get married by uh, the Pope in the Vatican. I shut down a museum in Florence for a dinner party of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David. And then halfway through, I had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade him. I've done drum lessons by Guns N' Roses, guitar lessons by ZZ Top. I'm basically the guy that if you can afford it, I can make it happen. And I did that for, for many years. I quite simply, you know, thank you very much for the, for the lovely ego compliment and brush of my ego earlier. But for many, many years, no one knew who I was. I was just a weird, you know, lumpy, ugly looking guy in the corner that no one knew who I was, but I knew who the guy throwing the party was. Right. Um, That's someone big, said I was the most unknown connected man in the planet. Um, <laughs> and then three years ago, uh, for some strange reason, we released a book. And as a bricklayer from London that, that now works with Elon Musk and Sir Elton John, we wrote a book on how you can do it and didn't expect it to take off. Right. So three years later, I'm coaching, I'm speaking, uh, mentoring. It's, it's, just, it's just crazy how it's kind of like uh, turned in the last three years. What type of success and turning in the last three years, you weren't like trying to put it out just to put it out, just to get it out, to be that person. You know, because everyone these days is a award-winning, best-selling author, 
you know, multi-millionaire and all this, all this stuff. And I know that we're going to go into detail with this because I've really loved one of your quotes that you put out. It's like, if, there's, if they made all their money from the program they're trying to sell you, don't buy that shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's, that's the one. Right, that's, I love it because that ties into my core values and everything that I'm about when it comes back to, you know, my upbringing, the sales, the ethical side, the enrolling students to different types of programs and make sure they're going to be the right fit. That's a hard thing for people because they're so focused in on dialing in on making the commission or making the... I don't know, whatever that situation might be for them, but they'll tell anybody anything or back end sell it or lie about things. Oh yeah, you'll get this and the features and benefits, but there's no substance to them at all. Like at yeah. all. I mean, I know that you've rubbed elbows with some major players in a game. Yes. Great. But you were the guy in the corner, like you mentioned, like, what, why are you here? Like you're just the guy that makes it happen introducing people to the party. Like what struck your, I guess, curiosity to the point to where you say, you know what? Maybe I can monetize this, make money from it, start a book, like be who you are today. Like what drove you, what motivated you to doing what you're doing now or just a sequence of events that led you here? Well, the sequence of events, we can name drop countries, cities, royalty, celebrities, power right. players. But you know, it's the exact same story as absolutely everyone. Mm -hmm. We all look like weird and wonderful on the outside. Um, but I reckon if you actually cut us in half, you would actually find that there's like a purple vein or there's some kind of molecule or some kind of DNA that actually makes us exactly the same. Yep. And I call that the aggravation gene. I okay. think that there's something about entrepreneurs that just look at something or look at the environment or look at that workplace and go, are you kidding? You know, why does it have to be this way? You mm -hmm. know, why are we doing it? And they're the curious kid. Now, most curious kids get yelled at to stop asking questions. Mm-hmm. The entrepreneur never stops. I'm a 53-year-old, four-year-old. I'm constantly <laughs> curious why that's happening. Right. And when I left East London, uh, well, not East London, but when I left school at the age of 15, my dad took me straight onto the building site because we had this little building firm, and that was it. And that was my future. Mm -hmm. And we never had Instagram just to validate how inadequate my life was at the time. Mm -hmm. So all of this came from inside that I went, is this it? Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know, I couldn't spell, you know, my son's 15 years old now and he can pronounce every single designer in the planet because he watches all the rappers and they're all wearing them. But when we're in like 1984, we never had any of that. So I didn't know what a Lamborghini looked like. I didn't know what the four seasons were other than mm -hmm. the weather. You know, I never knew anything. So I never had, luckily, anything to be scared of or anything to gauge myself by. But deep inside, I thought, huh, there's got to be something better than this. And I noticed one thing. I didn't read a lot. I class myself, by the way, now as an incredibly educated man. But I always say school had nothing to do with that. School hard enough. Yeah. Um, but I realized the, the, there was one line that was given to me very early on that kind of stuck with me and made one of my little shifts. And it was like, you are the combination of the people you hang around with. You know, the five mm -hmm. friends, you know, the, the classic yep. thing, vicinity. And I thought, I literally remember that. And I was in the pub thinking, we're all about to pull our money together to get our third beer that we're then going to share between each other. <laughs> right. This are the people I'm with. So I'm a combination of these broadcast bikers. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't mind that, but was that my future? So right. I actually went out openly to try and hang around with rich people. And I tried doing car sales. I tried becoming a stockbroker, which was funny. I tried becoming an insurance agent. I tried so many things to try and get myself into the vicinity. And I failed on every single one of them. But you know where it put me? I ended up working on the door of a nightclub. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought this was my lowest point. I'd gone for a stockbroker in East London. You know, I thought that's where I would meet rich people. I actually started meeting rich people on the door of a nightclub. Right. Love and it that. gave me a great pedestal to watch humanity. Mm -hmm. If you've ever, just to give you an example, if you've ever watched a nightclub, you got the two meatheads on the door. Okay. I was one of those meatheads. The person walks towards the door and in humanity, they self-select. 
are they the kind of people that walk up to a dorm and say, hey, how you doing? I need, I need a booth, you know, and just, you know, tip and, you know, be polite and walk in. Mm-hmm. Or do you naturally just go and stand in line? And you self-select where your position in life is. And right. I could never understand that. Mm-hmm. And so I started playing. It's a them. huge message. It's a huge message. Here before, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know, it's amazing how much of my growth has come from being on the door. And I'll pepper some of those later on through this. But from there, I started questioning humanity and what they wanted. And people want things that they seldom ask for. But one thing they don't want is embarrassment. No one wants mm-hmm. pain and embarrassment. So if I can get you into a club, into a party, on a yacht, in Formula One, in the Grammys, in a, if I can get you into any of these environments, and all you've got to do is stroke a check, yep. I'm removing the embarrassment away from me. And the funny thing I noticed is the more high profile you become, the less you could afford to ask to get into somewhere because the favor that it will cost you down oh, the line. Oh, big time. Big time. Be massive. The amount of people, I'll, t- I'll tell you a story. Can I quickly tell you a story? Please, please. Right. Yeah. So during the days that the Victoria's Secret show in New York was the biggest event, they don't do them anymore now. Um, but when it was the biggest event, I used to work uh, with Lucky Brands and I used to get people into the uh, Victoria's Secret show and then the big uh, after party afterwards. And so I was working and I knew all the directors and I was getting these clients in and I was helping them with the promotion and the marketing and all this kind of stuff. And I got a call one day from one of the board of directors. And he said to me, hey, um, could part of my deal for helping them was that I got like 25 tickets, which Mm -hmm. I would then sell for anywhere between 25 to 50 grand a ticket, including the after party, VIP, um, a VIP entrance, red carpet, you know, pictures with the girls on the carpet, all that kind of stuff. And uh, most of my clients ended up from being like Ukraine and Russia and stuff like that that would do this stuff. So um, I get a call from one of the board of directors and I thought he was going to tell me off for how much I was charging for these tickets. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't have any right to do it, but that's what I thought he was going to do. So he contacted me and he said, hey, how you doing? He said, um, uh, you still got those tickets? And I was starting to get a bit suspicious and panicky. And I went, yeah, yeah, I've got a few left. He said, you got four? And I said, "Uh, yeah, I got four. What's the question for? He said, yeah, I need to buy them. I said, hang on a minute. You own the event Mm -hmm. and you want to buy the four tickets off of me. Do you have any idea how much I'm charging for these tickets? (laughs) And he said, yes, I do. He said, we all know, but I need to buy four of them. For, for my family and friends. He said, you know, I've gone over my, my, my group that I, that right, I got. Limit. Yeah, his limit. And I said, well, okay, I've got to ask, why do you want to buy four from me at my huge rate? Bearing in mind, internally, I think they could get them for like about 200 to 500 bucks a ticket, you know? And I'm selling them for like 25, uh, 25 grand a ticket. And I said, why do you want to buy them from me? He said, you have no idea. If I go to the board and ask for four tickets. Lose mm-hmm. face. I'll get them. And then I'll get a phone call a year down the line going, hey, do you remember we helped you out? Mm -hmm. We know you're on the board of this business. We need you to do this for us. And he said, those favors amplify an interest more than any mafia loan could ever be. He said, with you, all I know is that I pay, I go, our transaction's over. So I noticed that people want to pay to avoid that embarrassment. And they also never want to be on the hook. So I also noticed that if someone can't really afford me, they've got nothing to lose. So the bigger the person up the tree, the more likely they are to actually buy and pay for me. And I I thought to myself, if I want to be wealthy, what do I have to do? Surround myself with wealthy people. So I didn't try to launch a concierge firm. I didn't try to launch this uh, impossible wish fulfillment business. All my effort was simply in getting a group of rich people to talk to me. So inevitably I could go up and go, why are you rich? And I'm not, that was the sole Mm -hmm. purpose. And I had 25 years being able to do that. I love that. And it's really fascinating. And I, and I completely agree. And when you, you saw a gap in the marketplace and you saw a huge opportunity where a lot of people wouldn't lean into the opportunity. I talk a lot about with, if you want to be a great salesperson or a great business person, you need to surround yourself, yes, with successful people and the people that don't have limiting beliefs or 
these things that are projected onto us, you know, that we were born into our pure natural state, but were projected onto us and yada, yada, yada. We all know the story. But my point I want to make is you want to be great in sales, learn how to listen and learn how to, to observe where you can find yourself in a situation where you don't have to ask people what they want. You're going to know what they want and you serve them without them asking them what they want. And you do it in a certain way where it's nonchalant in a, in a way where they go, hey, I really don't want to ask you, but I really need this XX. I know you need it. That's why I have it here. And that's where you can really separate yourself from the, the really, I wouldn't say just the successful people in life, but the ones that they go to and say, hey, can you introduce me to this? Or are you the guy? But like, no, I'm not the guy, but I can introduce you to the guy. Always the middleman's always going to make more of the money and more of the impact because they're not the ones that they're, I guess, reputation is on the line at that time. I love that what you said. That's a really huge thing for people to understand about success because it's, it's an illusion. Everyone has their own beliefs or their own perception of what that actually means in life. You're just the person who pointed them in the right direction. It comes from that gene that you talked about and that, that little vein when you rip us wide open, just making shit happen. You well, just got to make it happen. Yeah, you, you came up with, with, with two things there. Um, one of them is that the we need to surround ourselves with successful people. But also, as I say, we need to surround ourselves with creative disruptors that yes. can actually challenge us to do differently. I mentioned to you at the beginning that I own a, um, a free Facebook community to give you that vicinity. It's called an Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. There's no selling or pitching in it. But it's to give you that vicinity, because let's be serious, we're the wackadoos, we're the Hogwarts kids. Right. We, we're not the same as other people. We see things differently. So that's why I realized as a youngster, I didn't have that community. I was talking to the drunk in the bar about how to do something. And I was listening to him night after night telling me, oh, you can never do that. Yeah. And those people, there's a billion of them. Mm -hmm. What we need are the people to support us. So that's why I started the group there. And secondly, I don't know if you've listened to yourself on this, Chris, but it, it, I've always laughed. I've often said I never sell anything. I solve everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm a great believer that the years of selling have gone. The years of solving are here. Yes. Now, if you sell something, it's because the person wanted to buy it. Okay. Or you've manipulated them into it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but if you solve it, they needed it. Yeah. And if you supply, and you said in there, you called them salespeople. And then you said that serve. Yep. So what I've always done and what I do now within my programs is to teach people how to find out and listen, what do they want? Don't listen to what they've asked for. Yes. What do they need? Lust and desire. What do they need solved? And if you can solve someone's problems, someone's travel plans, someone's, you know, construction needs, whatever it is, if you can solve it, then you've now got to the core. And mm -hmm. that's where you need to be in any relationship today. So you've got to solve, not sell today. Right. And I lo love that you said that. And it, it takes a very skilled person to structure their questioning to get to the core in the root and the nucleus of the potential problem without sometimes without them actually communicating to the other person that it is a problem because people don't want that embarrassment. Like you mentioned in the beginning, that yeah. embarrassment, like, Oh, I'm in this situation. That's where a lot of people, they fail in any encounter in business is that they don't realize that the entry barrier comes from them being ashamed of where they currently are in their position in life. And they feel like they're going to be judged in certain situations. And I love that you have that group because yes, being in a bar, being in a pub, wherever country you are, depending on how you really want to describe it, you're going to have the 98% of the world mm -hmm. that are going to give away their wealth to the 2% on the other side, challenging those disruptive ideas and going, I don't know why we do this this way. This is stupid. And I was that kid, if you could probably imagine growing up and I never stopped and I don't think I'll ever will stop asking the real deep questions of going like, I don't, I don't, why, I don't know why we're doing this. This is stupid. Like, why are well, we do doing you know, this? Do you know the world's most offensive question? What's that? Why? 
it literally people text me or FaceTime me a message or Facebook me a message or something like that. And they'll go, and I'm sure you've got it. Hey, I saw your bio and we should meet up and have coffee. We should why? do this. <laughs> and you just respond with one word, why? And I've had two, there's only two, actually there's three kinds of responses. One, no response. Two, I get the, well, you're arrogant. You know, I heard you were a cool cat. <laughs> I heard, you know, well, go fuck yourself. You know, yeah. you get those kind of things. And then the next one says, good question. I want to go over with mm. you on this, this, this. And you asked why. I've got a little story for you, if I may. Please. Uh, that includes Elton John. Is that all right? Go ahead, please. So uh, we had an office in Palm Beach. And I'm currently here in Los Angeles, where I live now. And when we had the office there, um, I got one of the girls contact me. And she said, I got this guy on the phone. And I was working for Elton John at the time. We worked with him for about eight years on the Oscar party and uh in hollywood and so everyone knew that i was hanging around with elton john you know two or three times a year and this person came on the phone and spoke to one of my team and wanted to get a photograph with him so she said there's something strange about the call can i put it through to you to handle i went yeah put it through so she puts it through to me and i went hey how you doing this is steve sims how can i help you and this guy very powerful, very, you know, strong voice. He's like, hey, how are you? Um, yeah, I need uh, to get a photograph with Sir Elton John. Uh, I know you're doing it with his Oscar party in Hollywood, and I need to get a photograph. Can you make it happen? So I said to him, oh, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. Why? Wow, yeah, love it. So he turns around, and he says, oh, um, uh, Look, he's one of the last living legends. He's an icon. Uh, he's one of the last superstars. Uh, he's on his last tour, and uh, he's going to die sometime. And uh, actually, he said soon, uh, which concerned me. He knew something <laughs> I didn't. Um, and he said, uh, you know, I just want to get a photograph of him for my desk. So I said, oh, that's it. He went, uh, yeah. All right, great. That, that sounds wonderful. I'll come back to you. I didn't. Now, I didn't because it was all superficial. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a month goes by, we're getting closer to the, uh, the Oscar party and uh, a different girl contacts me and she said, hey, do you remember last month when you had that guy that wanted to meet Elton John because he's going to die soon? And I went, oh yeah. He said, we got someone on the phone with the same request. We think internally in the office, it's the guy has got one of his mates to call you now because you didn't call him back. <laughs> so can you take the call and, and get rid of this clown as well and i went yeah no problem put him through so the guy gets on the phone same kind of tone hey how you doing i said hey this is steve sims you know uh, how can i help you i believe you want to meet alan john he's like yeah i do i said oh that's great why he says well you know um he's uh, one of the last living legends he's an icon he goes same by just stuff. Delta. <laughs> same stuff until near the end of it he says, oh, yeah, well, there's things. And he petered off. So I went quiet. I said, what things? Real quiet. And he came back on the phone, and he was very quiet. Now, I'm telling you, this was like seven, eight years ago. Still makes me choke. He said, when I was a kid, my dad used to drive me to school. He was always there to pick me up from school. It was our thing. He would take me to school, pick me up from school. Mum would wave us off as we left. And in the car was a cassette that was stuck. We couldn't get it out of the cassette deck. It was Elton John. Now, my dad would sing his lungs out on the way to school and sing his lungs out on the way back. And we would both just sing as hard as we could the tune that was on this Elton tape. And then my dad got a new car. And it had a cassette, it had a, a CD player in it. So he bought Elton John's greatest hits. And we would sing out on, on the way to school and on the way. And he did this for my youngest school all the way up into high school until I got a car. And he would pick me up. And as I'm walking in high school to the car, I could hear Elton John starting to come on. And I would get in the car and quickly wind the window up so that no one else could hear this coming out. Because he would immediately start mm -hmm. singing. And I would be leaning out the window with embarrassment that my dad is screaming and singing Sir Elton John until we got back home. And I would moan to mama that he's always doing it. And why can't he stop? So now my dad died 25 years ago and I'll be driving down the road, driving to work, dropping the kids off. 
and Elton John had come on the radio. And for those three minutes, my dad is sat in the chair next to me, singing oh, wow. his lungs out. I want to see Sir Elton John and just say thank you for bringing my dad back to me for a random three minutes every week. Shit. And that was it. So <laughs> it had to happen. So I actually, um, I was teared up at the time. Every time I tell that story, it still doesn't I never thought I'd be teared up off of Hilton John, but I was pretty good, man. You got me, man. That was, well, wow, I, I mean, that's an amazing, that's an amazing story that he, I guess you, you forced him with the what, when, why, right? But you didn't ask yeah. the when. You, you forced him to tell you the real reason. The like, call. Yeah, like what is the real reason behind this? And yep. then you made it okay for him and open and being shit to share that story with you. That yep. takes an extreme amount of emotional intelligence, even before they even knew what the hell that meant. You know, oh, they did it. EQ, they met yeah. and they, he told him the story and they hugged it out at the party. And uh, I, I couldn't even hear what they were saying because the party was going on. Mm -hmm. But the second they started hugging and I knew they were doing it and Elton was tearing up and so was I. And it was, it was quite something. So you've got to get to the core. Now, if you notice, none of that had anything to do with money. None of it. There was no money mentioned. Now, he paid whatever was necessary mm -hmm. for him to do it. Why? Because he had now revealed the core need. Yep. What do you really need? And trust me, you can't buy that um, on Amazon. No, you can't. And there's, it's impossible. Wes, I mean, please dissect, because I know that you're probably going to burst into confetti before. <laughs> I mean, so there's so much there. It's so impactful just because of it's everything we teach people in companies yep. is that it has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with the product service, has nothing to do with any of that shit. Stop asking and stop product pushing when you should be asking the right questions. Yeah, please, absolutely. Please go ahead. I definitely wasn't expecting the conversation to go this way, but I'm really glad it did because it, that, that's what it comes back down to is getting to that core of what that person is really longing for. And because and there's no price on it. And actually, that's where I kind of want to take it back just a little bit because I think this is important for people to understand when you were talking about the, you know, when, when you were going back just a little bit to where you, you know, were, were talking to this um I believe it was the owner of a company and they wanted those four tickets. Yeah. And they, you know, they were willing to pay any price. It didn't matter. And obviously what that, you know, that belief system is basically my, you know, the money is a less of a value to me than X outcome or whatever it might be. And the re I'm asking this for a reason. The reason why is that a lot of people when they're asking questions or they're trying to get to the core of, they don't really try to get to the core of someone's needs because all they're focused on is, the big money symbol because that's really what they care about is, is just that piece of that dollar value, which, which that, if that's all you're focused on, you're not focused on what really matters to the person. How much for the listeners, how much did that interaction with that, with that person for those four tickets, how much did that play a role in changing your mindset when it comes to money and how you view it? And how did that in turn change the way that you approach people? Well, I went back even earlier than that. When I was a doorman, um, four of the regulars that came into, I was actually living in Hong Kong at the time. Um, as an entrepreneur, I actually tried to get as far away from my surroundings as I could. So I even left the country. Uh, I ended up in Hong Kong, couldn't get a job, ended up working on a door. Four of my affluent regulars asked me if I was going to a yacht party. And um, I said to them, oh, I probably, you know, because I was already getting people into other clubs. I hadn't stepped out of the club world into mansions and, you know, these other private parties outside of the club scene. Because in the club scene, everyone knew each other in Hong Kong. But I went down to the yacht um, the night of the party, spoke to the girl down there and managed to get these four people onto the yacht. When I went back to the club and I said, hey, did you still want to go to the yacht party? And they went, yeah. And I said, well, I've just made a phone call. I hadn't made a phone call. I didn't even have a phone. And I said to them, I've made it happen. It's going to be 500 bucks each. They leapt up so fast to pay that I realized then that people want, want to pay to save the embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And I realized that if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. Now that made me realize two things. One, never sell down, never sell to someone that can't afford you. I am stunned when I do coaching, I'm stunned at how many people do all this marketing and they market to people 
that are poor because they used to be poor and they know what it's like. Mm-hmm. Market to people that can afford you without question. That's yeah. the first thing, okay? And I was marketing to these people that I knew could afford it. The second thing I noticed was that if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. And so by having them pay, I knew that they were going to attend. I knew they were going to turn up because, and I remember this, and this was one of my little pivots, and there's all these little pivots in life. There was a concert that I had a couple of tickets to. Cannot even remember what the concert was, but it was enough that I wanted to go. I bought the tickets. I couldn't make it. I phoned up a mate of mine and I said, hey, do you want to go? Yeah, I'd love to. Great. There's the tickets. Have a good time. Brilliant. I remember seeing him a week later and I went, oh, hey, how was the concert? And he went, oh, something come up. I didn't go. And I noticed that when you give something to someone for free, they value it as that. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'd have said to him, hey, these are $400 tickets, but you can have the pair of them for 200 bucks. He would have gone because he would have been out 200 bucks. He would have been committed. He would have been engaged. So I learned very early on, if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. And when I, st- I did a, a, an online community and I, I priced it, I think it, it, it's not there now, so it's not a pitch. Um, I did like a free three-month thing and stuff like that. The people that I got in were not the people that were receptive. And the amount of people when I did this free first quarter entrance that would register and then not get into it. Mm-hmm. Literally not go inside, not, not converse, not engage. So what I did was not only did I get rid of um, the free three month up front, I actually started the initial price three times higher <laughs> than originally what I charged with no free access and charged from day one. So perception, yep. The people that I have in Sims Distillery now are engaged, are committed, mm-hmm. and they're engaging with other people. So bottom line of it is, if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. And that was one of the pivots that just made me realize you've got to charge uh, for something. But also the other thing you've got to understand is if you're arguing with a price and you're only going to get this if you actually bring the price up at the beginning, um, because I don't know what you want. So how can I Mm -hmm. charge you at the beginning until I know what you want? But if you're arguing the price with someone, that's because you failed to demonstrate the value. Mm -hmm. You just failed your buyer. You just failed it. So every client that I speak to, first of all, know your market, you know, can they afford you? Yes, they can. Right. Now what you've got to do is demonstrate so value, so much value that they feel as though they just ripped you off. Mm-hmm. And the amounts of my, I've charged people from, I think my lowest may have been like $30,000 on an invoice, maybe slightly lower than that actually. But I've constantly done half a mil, seven fifty. Yeah, I think my biggest was like um, 13 mil. I had to have a transfer into our account. For. It's never about the it's never about the money. What you do so uh, you do so beautifully. Can. You flip the table on them and you make them sell you. Why? Well, how can you do? How can you possibly price someone unless you're buying a cheeseburger outside of McDonald's <laughs> or you're buying the <laughs> new? Blind demand. I learned this in school, man. It's a blind yeah. demand. <laughs> if you're so, if you're actually providing something of value and you are a specialist in that area, then price it once you understand. Price it once you discover. And once you, by the time you get down to the price, you should have been establishing those value blocks all the way through that the person just goes, I don't care, here's my card. There's a couple of things I want to touch on just real quick. I've actually did this as an experiment at one point for a company that was asking for me to consult with them. And I decided to, after the audit, I said, I really don't want to be involved. But I did an experiment. I was like, I'm going to take, you market the way that you were marketing and you're trying to sell it for 50K or whatever the hell it was. I think it was 60K or something. And they were marketing the way it was, but then I took them through the enrollment process. And right when I got them to the buying decision, of course, I don't present the problem, you know, the, the product or service. I take it away from them. So that way they have to beg for it and sell me. But when it got to that point, I asked them, I said, what if I told you that I would be able to do the best that I can do as when it comes to the price? I know that we talked a lot about this and you're in credit repair, you're working on this X, Y, Z, right? I was like, what if I told you I can do everything in my power? I said, what would you do in return for me? 
And he goes, well, I don't know. This is back when I was tapping into the referrals, right? He on, on I, every single last one of them, Steve, gave me every person in their contacts. And I was like, you're going to have to make the contacts for me, yada, yada, yada. I said, well, listen, I know that, you know, the price might be a huge issue for you, but it's not the price that you really want to pay and what you can afford. I'm going to help you out. Since you were able to give me these 10, 15 people, I don't know how much it was at the time, and you were set up the deals, I'm going to comp you on this enrollment. And I gave it to them for free. You know how appreciative they were for that? They, and I went to the company, that's like, you know, <laughs> I gave it to them and they were so appreciative, but they would have bought it for 10 times more. Yeah, yeah, because of the value you demonstrated. Exactly. And I was like, and that's exactly what you're not. And they weren't willing. Of course, you have all these entrepreneurs and these fucking fake ass, excuse, excuse my language, but fake ass. The one entrepreneurs. Yeah, they're like, they're, they're fake as hell. And they're, they're only surface level. And they made all their money from that one thing. And then they're trying to sell it for this big, huge price. And then they're not fulfilling. They're not doing everything they need to do. And they said, well, we can't do that for everybody. So you don't need to, you stupid clown, <laughs> right? Like you don't need to. And if you're not receptive to my consulting or my advice, then why am I even here? And of course that company, I don't even think, I don't even know if that person's even still around. West knows who I'm talking about, but there's so many different things there that I know that, man, this, this episode, I hope that the listeners are really catching on to the very simple ingredients of being successful. And it's always the right mixture of the people because it's not about how much money you make or how much products or services or whatever you sell. It's not about that as who you are as a person. And that's why people are drawn to you, Steve, because yeah, we, we, we share that. So I don't come from the best side of the track, but it's not about that. One of the things that I learned in life is the value of a dollar or a pound in this country and knowing what you need to do to make it happen and work ethic and making, just making shit happen. I didn't know that I was broke as hell until I was 16 years old. I didn't know. Till we moved to a nicer neighborhood. And, but that's where I believe a lot of things where you, you experience is what you're exposed to in life. But you have to be a lot. You have to be, I guess, start questioning the narrative pretty quickly and be like, you know what? I don't want this life and I don't want to be around these jokers. And I don't want to be around these clowns. I don't want to be sitting in this bar for the next 20 years because I still, I still see my future. You always have the ones in a bar and a pub that have been there for oh, 20 dude. years. Yep. And you can see the future, right? I'm like, I don't want to do this, man. What was that moment like for you? I mean, is it because you got away from your surroundings? Wow. and went You've got – so you've just – have you read the book? No. You literally just brought up one of the key – moments right at the front of blue fishing but it's funny how you've actually just positioned it so when i left school at the age of 15 i had one day off and then my dad kicked to bed at 4 30 the following morning and said you're on the building site with me and i was like shit is this my life and so over about a year i've been working on the building site and there was one day that uh, the, the laborer who carries the bricks up onto the scaffolding, he wasn't around. So my dad said, you're doing that today. So I climbed up the scaffolding with a pile of bricks. You know, I'm sure safety would, you know, the, the new safety measures of the planet would never <laughs> right. allow this to happen. But right. you know, I'm climbing up a ladder with one hand in my teeth with a pile of bricks on my shoulder. I get to the top of the scaffolding and I, and I turn around and put the bricks down. And the one next to me on the scaffolding was my dad laying bricks. Next to him was my uncle. Next to him were my two cousins who were in their late teens, like 19. And then the other one was like 25. And then after that was my granddad who was in his 80s. Mm. I saw my entire family tree and my entire future. So I froze. And my dad yelled at me. He's like, yeah, put the bricks down, put the bricks down. So I put the bricks down. And I went downstairs and then it came to tea break time. And I went down into the, and there was a caravan there. It was rainy because it's England. Um, there's a caravan there. No wheels on the caravan. Right now. <laughs> it, of course it is. It's England. Um, and so I went in there and my granddad's in a corner just trying to get hot by a local little stove. And I ran over to him and I'm like, granddad, granddad. And I asked, now we're an Irish family, which means that, you know, if I said something the wrong way, I would know the reaction by the basically his knuckles on my nose. Um, but I went up to him. My granddad was like seven foot something. Massive Irish fella. It is 80, so it calmed down a little bit. But I saw him getting grumpy in pubs more than, more than often. And he, I turned around and said, granddad, granddad, 
did you ever think you'll be doing this at your age? And in hindsight, again, good job I didn't get smacked through the caravan wall. But he didn't even look at me. He just blew into his tea to try and cool it down so he could start getting some warmth in his body. And he said to me, and I remember this, 2D exact word. He said, son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. Mm. And I was like, whoa. Whole caravan went quiet. You know, world changed. And I came out of the caravan when the siren went off and I ran up to my dad. Now, my dad hated being called dad on the website. He had a little nickname called Cuz and uh, he hated being called dad. So I came running out of this caravan going, dad, 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 dad. And of course he's like, what, what, you know, trying to shut me up. And I'm running in front of him. I'm like, I just came out. I went up there. I saw you and I came down and I went and I went in the ground. I said, Granny, what are you? And he said, if you don't quit today, you'd be me. I've got to quit. And as I said that, my granddad walked behind me. And again, big lump of a fella. So I, I could see him peripherally. I saw my dad look at him and then look at back, back at me. They nodded to each other and never, ever got to tell my granddad about the impact of what he said to me because mm. he died shortly after that. But my it's granddad, in a book, is it? It is. It's in the book. Yeah. Um, and my dad looked at me and he went, you finished Friday. We're light-handed. And that was it. And that's wow. when I started my journey. But I always wondered, had I not seen those people on the scaffolding, mm -hmm. and if I had not confronted my granddad like a jumped-up bunny on acid, would I have ever got that comment out of it? And would it have ever started my journey? It's the and subtle so, things. Yeah. Oh, it was absolutely things. incredible. It was absolutely That was... That was my big pivot. And that then started a whole train of me trying to get jobs, which I was. Right. Uh, it made it okay for it made it okay for you to go test that out. You know, oh, and go yeah. you know, it made it okay. Wes, talk about that for a second if you can. That's a beautiful yeah. spot. Beautiful. Yeah, Thank you for sharing that, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's incredible. So I'm like, I'm like so into the story, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to definitely read this book, but uh, it, it's amazing, you know, because I really, I truly believe that. And, and who knows? I mean, because we can always look back and say, these were the pivotal moments. We never really know what would have happened otherwise. Yeah. Part of, part of my belief system is the, is the mentality of an entrepreneur, right? That, that want to want something better or that need to have something better, whatever we want to call it. And that spark and that curiosity that you've talked about to be like, hey, you know, is there something better on the other side? Is there something better that I can have potentially if I, you know, if I do something different? I almost wonder, I feel like you probably would have made a change at some point, you know, some point or another, potentially, maybe there was a different catalyst, but I feel like we get potentially multiple opportunities in life to say, Hey, I can do something different. I just have to be brave enough to do it. How much, I mean, how much courage did it really take you to, to step out on your own and say, Hey, I'm going to go try something different. We see a lot of people are frightened of trying something different. I'm stupid enough that I am terrified not to. Mm, and Joe Polish actually um, came out with a beautiful saying uh, a while ago. And he said to me, the definition, the definition of hell is to meet the man you could have been. Mm -hmm. And I have jumped, like I'm an entrepreneur, just like you guys. We jump out of the frying pan into the volcano, mm -hmm. you know? 100%. And, we, and I would do it a hundred times over. Yeah. yeah, I don't look. I'm not asking you guys to reveal, but an entrepreneur gets backstabbed, ripped off. They go broke, they go broker, and then they go broke again. They make money, they go broke again. They get lied to, they get deceived, they get sued. But we keep going. It's mm -hmm. the. It's I the can't go. We can't go back, Steve. We can't go back. We can't. We can't. We need to lay there at night, going, "My day today was because of me, good or bad." we need to be responsible and accountable. Yeah, okay. And so I just believe that as entrepreneurs, again, it's down to that gene. You're right. There may have been another catalyst. There may have been another pivotal moment, but it wasn't so much that I was terrified of what if. I had looked at that scaffolding and I was terrified of that becoming the reality. Mm -hmm. And what terrifies me now, even at the age of 53, is I do not want to be the same person today that I am when we have a follow-up podcast in a year from now. I right. wanted to have failed so many times right. Man, now and then this. so I can grow and benefit from it. I, I'd love, goodness gracious, and it's like my dedication to becoming 1% better each and every day has been my saving grace. 
in life. And when I made that transition, I started rubbing elbows, not the same type of story, but the same type of level of impact for me. I started rubbing elbows with people that I was buying their damn yachts because how much money I was actually making their company. Millions of dollars and I was only getting paid 130K a year. Great stability, great security at 28 years old. And I was like, man, why am I doing this shit? And then that, that one thing that you said in asking and that really difficult question is why I learned that the hard way in the military. When I went into the military, I asked the drill instructors, why, why (laughs) that only lasted for so long. So I always had a way of questioning and narrative. But then when I started realizing how much money I was making people and how much time I was investing, I'm like, I want something better for my life. And I don't know what the hell it is, but I'm willing to like destroy myself from the version I am right now. So the person I can become, and I'm willing to die until I become that person. And I have no idea if I'm ever going to meet that person. And that's the, that's the dedication of, I can lose it all right now, man. And I'm just keep doing, I'm gonna keep pushing as long as I got air in my lungs and I got the intellect and the, the limbs and the connections and all these, man, the hell with it. I'm after it. I'm going after it. And there's just one thing that I'm not going to live with. And that's fucking regret, excuse me, because I've interviewed people in a retirement home. It's one of the best things I ever did for myself, Steve, because I went and interviewed people in a retirement home and I asked really difficult questions with them. And they, they, they're sitting there waiting to die. Of course, they do, they'll be happy to talk to someone, right? I went in there with a notepad, asked really difficult questions. You can see the pain and the regret behind their eyes. And I was like, I'm not living this way. No, no. I've often said that uh, when I die and they say your life flashes between, uh, before mm. your eyes, I want it to be so jam-packed there's an intermission for popcorn. <laughs> That's what I want. Oh, I love this guy. <laughs> I, so the intermission of popcorn, would, it, would uh, Buncella be singing that too and serenading? <laughs> I guess that would be the best <laughs> thing ever. Like, <laughs> not that I could sing, but I was singing that song before we got on cause, just because I read it. And I was like, you know, it's like I can picture my mom, actually picture my mom singing that song when I was you know, when younger. And she loves that stuff. So she's Italian. So um, there's in you coming from that type of world and going over there and coming back. But the one thing I want to touch on, and I know that being respectful for time and all of us have things to do, but something that stuck out to me, I went, I, Bogart's obviously the person that connected us. And I'm, I'm very grateful, Brian, if you're listening to this, thank you. And he sees that we're aligned in some type of form or fashion, right? But one thing that he did, he won like the, what is it? The Axe throwing contest at one of your conferences or summit, something yeah. you had going on, right? But he mentioned something and I don't think that a lot of people would have caught what he said, but I caught it maybe just because I was paying attention. But he mentioned something that, when you invite people to wherever it is, you don't ever tell them what they're doing and what the agenda is. Why is that? This is just lunacy. Um, and obviously my attendees are loons. Um, <laughs> I started um, two and a half years ago. I thought to myself, I'd like to do a mastermind mm-hmm. differently. You know, because we all go to events where this person's speaking, that person's speaking. It starts at nine o'clock. It's at this hotel. There's a lunch break. It finishes. There's a cocktail reception. We're given the entire agenda. And from that agenda, we make our decision on whether or not we're going to go or not. Okay. And I thought to myself, I wonder how far I can take it. Now, again, this is back to that creative disrupting. Mm -hmm. Okay. How far can I take it? So what I did was I put it out that I was going to do an event in uh, San Diego. That was, well, actually, Carlsbad is my first one. Going to do a, an event in Carlsbad uh, for these two days, $2,000. That was it. And then the bottom was register here. Okay? Wow. And then people will be like, who's going to be there? Not telling you. <laughs> what, what are we going to be doing? Not telling you. You know, and we, we ended up with, I think about 34, 36 people. Okay. So one of them in signing up said to me, do you know, this is like a speakeasy. We know the city it's going to be in, but we won't know the location until the exciting. (laughs) And it was exciting. They said, it's just like a speakeasy. So it became the speakeasy. It literally it was given birth by an attendee. And what I did was I thought to myself, you've just paid me two grand to spend two days with me mm-hmm. and you know nothing. 
Now, I know this may sound a little bit vicious, but Brian to back me up here. So what I did was I would send out an email or randomly phone up the attendees and go, hey, you just, spent me, you just spent two grand to spend two days with me and you know nothing. What's wrong with you? What's your problem? And that was it. That was the question. I love it. I and love they, it. they would turn um, around and they would go, well, um, I'm not doing very well with my social content. I'm, I'm looking mm-hmm. to get more credibility. How do I get the affluent clients? How do I break the ceiling of the scale of it? And <laughs> what would does happen- it? He does it effortlessly, Wes. He puts <laughs> them on a back burner, makes them sell them. I love this stuff. And this was it. They would give me all of this stuff they wanted. Then what I would do. Right. Was I would look in my Rolodex and I'd be like, okay, they want to write a book. I'm going to bring in a top selling author. <laughs> they want to do videos. I'm going to bring in a. So, what I did was I would literally get up and go, hey, five of you had this problem. I'm now going to introduce you to the man behind Victoria's Secrets adverts that's going to tell you how to construct a morning video for YouTube on using oh your my iPhone. God. And I would bring in, and I brought in, and you're going to find this funny, I brought in Jay Abraham, Jim Quick, Ari Mizell, Kevin, uh, Ken Cragen, um, Alice Little, Ben Bostrom. I brought in experts in that field. Um, See, people would pay 2K each for those people. Oh, I could sell again. Right. I want yes. you to leave the event feeling as though, you know, you ripped me off. Mm-hmm. And so Brian contacted me and he said, I, I've heard about you. And I said, well, look, come down. He was like, oh, that'd be great. Who's going to beat it? I'm not telling you. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are we going to be focusing on? I'm not telling you. And so he paid and he came along and he's already signed up for San Diego because all we literally do at Sim Speakeasy and there's, again, by the time this has all gone out, this will be packed out because when we started doing it, and here's the reverse thing, and I want you guys to think about it that are listening. I knew what I was dealing with, so I then knew what I had to provide. Right, and over-deliver. Yeah, so when I knew that I had, for that first one, 36, I knew that I needed a location that was spacious enough up to like 45, 50, so no one was cramped on each other. The next event we did, we got 60 people. Now it wasn't so intimate because I had to get a place that could hold like 80 to 100. Mm-hmm. So we actually nail it at 40 now. And it's at simspeakeasy.com. And what we do is we wait until we know how many people are coming. Then we find the location. Then we <laughs> find this, the, the speakers that come in. And this will be our 10th one in San Diego. And it's so funny. And no one knows what's going on. So with Brian, you know, the night of the event... Um, we took people axe throwing. We've taken them machine gun shooting. We've taken them bowling. We've taken mm-hmm. them all over, but they never know where they're going or who they're going to meet. But it's really worked out really exciting for us. But I always ask, what's your problem? What do you need solved? And then right. I get those people in. Wes, we're not crazy. <laughs> no. How many times <laughs> do we build a program around people just because of what they need rather than yeah. trying to tell them, hey, this is what you need. And you know, like how it is, like these people just project, okay, I need to build this and I'm building this and I'm building this and I'm building this because people want this because everyone else in a blue moon is doing yeah. it. I'm yeah. like, I, people don't want that stuff. Yep. It, it, goes, it goes back to Steve's philosophy, pay me to solve your problem. Yes. Yep. Pay me to solve your problem. And so you don't need the embarrassment anymore. It all goes back to that same exact philosophy, which is just so <laughs> funny. Genius. Yeah. It's genius. Well, they say in England, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. I love this, man. I just, and, there's, I know, and thank you so much for coming on. And there's and there anything you want to add to this. And I know that, you know, you have the free Facebook group. I was going to tell you about the video. Oh, yes. Please tell me. Yeah. T- please tell me about that. You, I need you've to, got to see these videos. Don't spoil, don't spoil it for me completely because I can't <laughs> wait to go look at this promotional video, but please, please right. share. So I got asked to write the book three years ago, which we mm-hmm. did blue fishing, the art of making things happen. And I thought the shallow plug, I thought to myself, it's a really cool book. And I've got friends that have authors, uh, Jay Abraham, Tony Robbins, stuff like that. So with their help, I got front-ended very graciously on the money that I made out of this book. Okay? Thanks to those guys intervening, I got paid very well. So my point is, I didn't have any liability as to whether or not the book sold or not, because mm-hmm. I had already got paid. But in my deep heart, I thought to myself, who's going to listen to me telling a story of a 15-year-old bricklayer that now has worked with the Pope and Elon Musk? No one's going to believe it. No one's going to buy it. No. <laughs> 
what I did was I, I got paid to do the book. I did the book and I had this great ghostwriter, Megan, that actually did the book for me. And uh, we put it all together and we didn't even have a website. Didn't think it would do anything. It was going up on Amazon. I thought, you know, no one's going to buy it. Never had a website. And my publisher said, you have to. So we knocked up a page. Now we have a little bit more than a page now, stevedsims.com. But we knocked up a page at the time, just going, book Amazon link, buy it here. It's just a landing page? Just a landing page. Yeah, Yeah, because we didn't think it would be anything. We didn't think anyone would get behind it. So then what did we do? This was the weird thing, and I've never understood why. The publishers would always wire me money because they pay you in four chunks. They pay you, you know, a big chunk at the beginning when you sign the contract, a couple more, and then the last one, like three months after the book's come out. So, you know, coming up to like the book launch, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be released in October, which is you know, a three-year anniversary now. And um, they said, oh, we've sent you to cover an opening. And they sent me a check. Now, they'd always wired everything, but they sent me a check for two and a half thousand dollars. And I contacted them and I said, what's this for? And they said, well, in LA, there's a bookstore called Barnes and Noble. We need you to rent a table down there from them. Here's the money, buy some champagne and sit in there on a Saturday afternoon and offer to sign books. And drink all the champagne? (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I thought to myself at at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're walking shopping with your kids. You're not going to look at me and go, well, he looks warm and fuzzy. Let's go and chat with him. So I just thought that's not going to happen. So I said to him, don't worry, I've got an idea for the launch. Okay, now bear in mind, I thought this was going nowhere. So I went to a whiskey bar that I go to because I'm an alcoholic. And I said to him, look, you always do my favorite drinks. I want to invite a bunch of my buddies over next Tuesday because that's the day of the launch. Um, I'm going to put a bunch of books in like the coat hang area. You know, so basically, so no one can see the damn things. But, you know, because I have to display them in order to be able to be called a book launch. Mm. So, you know, it won't bother any of the other patrons. I'm going to sign over this two and a half grand check to you. When it runs out, turn the lights on and kick us out. Oh, wow. And uh, they were like, yeah, fine. So then I phoned up my friends and I had like <laughs> Caleb Meredith, Greg Reed, Rob Anspach, a whole bunch of uh, Lewis Howell's, um, uh, Cole Hatter, Sonia, a whole bunch of my friends. And I have some pretty decent friends, Mm -hmm. right? So they all turned up and we started basically just drinking, you know? (laughs) Most of them didn't even know the book was there. I can't wait to watch this shit. So this is where it gets funny. We had done nothing. We never had a photographer. We had nothing. And uh, there was someone actually took a couple of pictures, but that was about it. Um, but Sonia Hatter and Cole Hatter run one of, the, one of the biggest events in America called Thrive. Mm-hmm. And Cole was doing a new sizzle reel when he needed some like backdrop with some of the influencers that were at my party. So Sonia, cute, evil little vixen that she is, she came up to me and she said, look, would you mind if using just this little GoPro-y hand camera and a mic, we just got a little bit of B-roll for Cole for his video? And I went, Knock yourself out. I don't care. Do what you want to do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. So we just basically got shit-faced. And um, what she had done was she had gone around everyone interviewing them about me, okay? Now, at the beginning, so then she sent me this video a few days later, and it was beautiful. And we put it up on the website. Now, the website has since developed, but it's still on the stevedsims.com front page yeah. on the video. Now, here's the thing, and I'm not going to give it away from away for, uh, uh, you know, give you the, the, the ending away. But basically, right at the beginning, no one's really been drinking. So everyone's really polite and that it's such an honor to be and Steve has done this. And it's like a wedding video. Like when you're talking, it's, <laughs> it's wank, you know, everyone's kind of like, Oh, he's such a lay, such an inspiration. It's bollocks. And then as it goes on, everyone is just getting, getting shit. Tanked, yeah. And now the truth is coming. Let me out. tell you a little bit about this guy, you know? Yeah, this is, and it's, if you don't like swearing, don't watch the video. Uh, but I, I actually posted it. the video up because I thought, hey, I don't want you, and this comes down to the whole influencer shit now, I don't want you mistaking me for who I'm not. 
Yeah. So I'm going to put Good it up point. there. So if I've got someone up there going, this guy's a wanker, I'm putting it up there. So there's this video on the front page of my website. My editors contacted me, and I didn't think I was going to get my full payment. My editors were saying, this is not, you know, polite. It's not appropriate. And I was uh, like, but isn't it continuity of who I am? Yes. And so I managed to get away with it, and it stayed up there. And it did so well for me because there was no confusion as to the person they were now going to be listening to or talking to. You are the concierge of disruptive ideas, my friend. <laughs> you, if you, you, I'll let you coin that. That's, I'm telling oh, you, that's you. you. Yeah, you're a concierge of freaking disruptive ideas. That's just, just a beautiful, I can't wait to, I mean, I'm almost like, all right, end the shit so we can go. I'm going to go watch this thing now. <laughs> but that, that's, a, that's something else, man, that you're, you are able and having the understanding of what you do for a living and what you've done for a living your whole freaking life. And you can't change what you're just naturally good at. You can't change the birds of a feather. What was that saying? You can't yeah. change them. Like you were like, okay, you give me this two and a half, you know, K. Tell me to go to freaking Barnes and Noble and get champagne and sit there for on a freaking Saturday or whatever day it was. And you're like, I'm not doing this bullshit. It's not going to work. Like, okay, I'm going to tap into what I'm good at and what I know and what the people that I have. And let's see, I'm just throwing it out there. I have nothing to lose. They already pay me my money anyway. Yep. <laughs> like the hell with it. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Great, great. I mean, that's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can't look, for, I can't look forward to seeing the video for sure. Anyways, man, I, there's, I know that there's a lot of places that we can, you know, I guess getting people to know more about you that don't know you and obviously listening to today's episode and all the nuggets and freaking knowledge bombs that you dropped here and for anyone listening to this man if you just want to find a way for you to be successful look at what you're already naturally good at and going inside of it. i tell a lot of people you have everything inside of you right now already to manifest the life of your dreams you just need to discover what that is and getting getting and shedding those layers i think that's a beautiful thing but for the most part anything that you need to add i know that there's anniversary of the book. Can't wait to see the promotion. I'll drop some links. I'll have some of my guys do that in here, but anything you would like to add or any kind of last words and you want to share with the audience. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and this is for you. Um, my dad wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, and we were walking down the street once and I was like about 14 years old and he was a chain smoker. He would literally have one smoking in his mouth and the other one in his fingers ready to light up to replace it. And as we're walking down the road, he puts his hand with a cigarette on my shoulder and takes the other one out of his mouth. And he says, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. And then he takes his hand off my shoulder and carries on walking. At the age of 14, I stopped and I thought to myself, what the fuck was that? Mm -hmm. I thought he'd been like, you know, digested by a fortune cookie or something. I had no idea where that came from or why he even said it. Had no context to the day. But as entrepreneurs, we fall in the water a lot. Mm -hmm. And that saying has made me realize that, okay, you can have a pity party for a couple of seconds, but then stand the fuck up and get on. Yeah. And so I want to leave everyone with that saying from my dearly departed, obnoxious, drunken dad. Right. I mean, if you didn't have the curious mind of always changing the narrative and questioning the narrative, you would have never caught those little nuggets. Yep. You would have never caught them. And, sure. I, and, that, and it goes with what you're destined to do in life and your calling. And a lot of people, when they try to be somebody they're fucking not, they're having a hard time. Like, I don't know why I'm not successful because you're not you, man. You're not a hundred percent authentic. And that's, that's really difficult for people to, it's, it's hard for people to take a step back and a little, being a little bit more, and I guess holding themselves accountable is like, I need to stop being a freaking ass clown and I'm not that person. I don't, I don't deserve that. And that's where they fall into that whole facade of being successful and it's not real and it's all an illusion. Wes, anything you would like to add? I believe it's just amazing episode. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. It's really been a pleasure. I think, I think our audience has gotten a lot from this and if you yeah. haven't go back and listen to it multiple, multiple times, because there's just, there's so many things in there that, that people, it's like reading a really good book. There's things that you're going to miss that maybe didn't make an impact on you right away, but then there's going to be things that make an impact on you right away. Just keep going back and listening to this because a lot of things that Steve talked about, there's going to be different times in your life where it's really going to matter to you. So again, Steve, thank you for coming on. It's really been an honor and a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much again. I appreciate it.
I do want to actually do a Speakeasy UK next year. So um, I will be I, over in my, my old stomping ground. And right. again, people will sign up and know nothing that they're getting involved in. All right. I mean, you don't need to tell me shit. Just tell me what terminal and I'll hold up a post and be like, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back. I guess because I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that you went over there and I had to come over here. And it's like we can't be in the same spot. But we'll test the water. <laughs> All right, guys. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. <laughs>